Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In order to be a good writer, you've got to be very sensitive and very feel emotions deeply. And that basically means that rejection affects you more. Hello and welcome to the second season of Write Off, the podcast about writing rejection and how people get through it. I'm Francesca Steele, a writer and journalist based in London. I find this interview so inspiring. Matt Cain is a successful arts journalist. At the time of his first book submission, he was a culture editor for Channel 4, praised in particular for his coverage of the Women's Prize for Fiction. In 2010, the semi-autobiographical book Matt had been working on about a child growing up, like himself, gay in the north of England, was rejected, in part for being what he says were coded ways of saying it was too gay. I don't want to tell you the whole story here because it has lots of twists and turns, but I will say that overall, Matt's book was put up for submission three times over the next decade and rejected by more than 50 agents and editors. Matt didn't give up, though, and today that book is published as the wonderful The Madonna of Bolton, with the crowdfunding publisher Unbound and with the support of loads of celebrities, making it one of the fastest-funded books in Unbound's history. And Matt has recently enjoyed a lot of success with his latest book, The Secret Life of Albert Entwistle, part of a big three-book traditional publisher deal. Matt is so open about not just those rejections, but others too, and is an incredibly warm guest. In fact, the day I spoke to him, he had just had his wedding cancelled as part of Christmas COVID chaos, and he was still so upbeat and generous with his time. We talk about how he really tried to learn from the feedback on early submissions, how creative rejection changed him, almost more than homophobic bullying did, and how his therapist made it into his book. Before we get going, I just want to say something about Write-Off's sponsor this season. Dealing with rejection is just one part of a writer's life. Jericho Writers are with you for every word. They are all about embracing the entire journey, rejections and all, and are committed to helping you hit your writing goals whatever stage you're at. Their inspiring courses, editorial services and events have launched writing careers, and members benefit from heaps of additional content such as video courses, masterclasses and weekly live online events, many of which I've enjoyed myself. By becoming a Jericho Writers member, you can get insight into the world of agents and publishers, power through your plot problems, level up your prose style, and polish your submission before it lands in an agent's inbox. Plus, you'll be learning alongside a worldwide community of writers who will keep you motivated and on track, even when a rejection rolls in. Listeners of the podcast can get an exclusive 15% discount on membership by going to jerichowriters.com forward slash join dash us and entering the code write dash off. 
I will put that in the show notes. Let's listen to Matt. It's easy to misremember things. I can say now it was always my dream to be a writer. To be honest, it was, but I didn't really get it. I'm from um, a background, working class north of England. I didn't know any writers. I didn't know anybody who worked in creative jobs at all. It's easy to forget, and younger listeners maybe don't quite realise the extent to which pre the digital revolution, we didn't even know about a lot of these jobs, never mind how you would get into them. And when I say jobs in the plural, I'm talking about all the things I've done, making documentaries, being a journalist, editing a magazine, presenting a radio show. I had no idea somebody like that, mm. like me, could do that. And I certainly had no idea how to go about it. And it was only after getting into the creative industries and moving around within them, that I started to form a better idea of how they worked and realised that actually what I wanted to be doing after all, and what I'd always really wanted to be doing, but hadn't been able to articulate, it was writing fiction. Mm. I got a better idea of how to go about the business side of it, getting an agent and, you know, how it works with publishers. I literally had no idea. And when I was doing arts journalism, making arts documentaries, I got a much better idea. It helped me realise what had been a long buried, or should I say, undiscovered dream. And when you first started writing, was that on the Madonna of Bolton or did you write some other stuff first? And how was it when you first started writing? Because I guess when you start, it can seem a bit strange and abstract. Like, what am I even doing if you've not been doing it since you were teeny tiny? Well, funny you should say that, actually. I was doing quite well in TV production, so I kind of had in my head, I was going to write a book and it was going to be great and everybody would want to read it (laughs) and I'd get a publishing deal and... um, Clearly, like, nothing's going to be kind of the truth. I fell flat on my face. Um, your question was, was the Madonna of Bolton the first thing I started writing? And I will answer that question, but I just want to say to you, I know you talk in this podcast about how your book failed. Don't see it in the past tense, because it may not <laughs> yet have no Yes, true, true. <laughs> so what happened with me is I started writing um, essentially that book about a young gay man growing up in the north of England and being rejected. So this is possibly why I feel rejected so much. You know, being homophobically bullied at school, being rejected by the world around him, clinging on to pop culture to get him through, and later Mm. on in life having to let go of this obsession in order to find his own voice. It was initially called Charlie Matthews, who is the central character, Charlie Matthews' Quarter Life Crisis. And as I say, his obsession was with pop culture in general. That book was, I mean, I can give you the figures. It will make your eyes water. This is more than a decade ago, was roundly rejected by agent after agent after agent. And then when I finally got an agent Mm. through contacts in, I'd made through working in arts, TV and journalism, um, rejected by every publisher. It was shortly after that that I had the idea. I was really interested that one of the things I noticed that people had really connected with from that first draft, the few people who read it, was the healing power of music and how so many of us in our teens, in particular when we're going through a hard time, feel like nobody understands us. They think, in my case, Madonna or Morrissey or whoever, they're the only one who gets me when I listen to them sing and I listen to the lyrics and the message and the stance and the attitude. They're the only one who gets me and I really emotionally connect with it. I noticed even people who weren't into Madonna 
really picked up on that. And I thought I will make it about a man being a boy, then a man being obsessed with Madonna. And yeah. therefore it became Madonna and me. This is so long ago. And this <laughs> years, years and years of, I think I went through about three or four agents and so many publishers. So it became Madonna and me. And that yeah. was rejected by a, my agent dumped me. I was rejected by a load more publishers. I realised people picked up on the home <laughs> type element. And Damien Barr wrote a book called Maggie and Me about a young boy growing up in working Yes. with Margaret Thatcher and I thought I can't have Madonna and me so it then became the Madonna of Bolton. I know you've just talked about a number of different drafts but I think I'm right in saying it was published 12 years after you initially put it out there is that right? I mean, you should say that Francesca I, in lots of interviews early on with the hardback I said 10 and it was only when I went back into all my rejection letters I've kept every single <laughs> one going as far back as before emails when they were printed out letters it was only then that I realised I'd actually started writing it if you include the first draft without Madonna so prominent Mm. Um, 12 years before, yeah. Wow. Can you walk me through that in a wee bit more detail from the when you first started writing it you were a producer and you thought it was going to be amazing and you thought that everybody would want it and and it wasn't really a book about Madonna um or or it was a book about Madonna by the time you sent it out to publishers no it was um the first draft was um had a whole round of submissions to agents okay a lot of them rejected it then I finally got an agent to take me on Um, And then she sent it out to loads of publishers. It was rejected by every single one. About five on one day, one Friday afternoon that we called Black Friday. I think she'd done a chase in the morning and we just got a barrage of rejections. (laughs) And this book is about taking emotional support and solace from first popular culture and then Madonna specifically in order to get over the pain of being rejected by the world. Yes. Actually, when I decided to tell this story and it was rejected by the world, like an open wound already that somebody was just pouring bleach onto. Yes, God. And... I mean, obviously, Charlie, your protagonist, is bullied for being gay and he really internalises that. So the latter half of the book, he really has some issues with his own reactions to having internalised that homophobia. And I know you've said in interviews before that that lots of your rejections were, you know, that, that maybe people didn't say this outright, but that essentially the book was rejected for being too gay. Um, is, did that happen from the outset? Was that the later um, re- round of rejections or was that that was that evident from the very beginning and did you did it feel very personal did, did is that something that you found it hard not to internalize as well oh um yes absolutely I think there were three rounds of submissions with three different agents over about 10 years wow three that I mean that takes I mean I've done one one round of submission and, and had it rejected and that was pretty painful three is a lot and that must have hurt yeah uh, you know what, if I'd known, and it's the way it's worked out, it's great. I've got a big publishing contract now with a big traditional publisher headliner mm. Hachette, and I'm doing three books with them and the new one's a big hit and everything's fantastic. But even if I'd known that was the end coming, if I'd known what I'd have to go through to get there, I could not have put myself through it. After the second round of rejections, I had a nervous breakdown. Uh, Matt, I'm so sorry. If you're you're wanting the whole emotion, Francesca, you're going to get it here. Um, (laughs) Being rejected, um, but also particularly when you um, 
uh, people say, right, about what you know, most novelists start off with something that is quite close to the heart in their experience. Seeing that book rejected, however much people say to you, don't take it personally, it is personal. If you've got experience of rejection in other areas of your life, it can play into an old wound, reopen it. And um, it's horrendous. And um, when I did with the book, what I eventually did to get it out there, a lot of the publicity concentrated on the fact that it had been rejected by several publishers for being too gay. Yes. In inverted commas. I did an interview with The Guardian and showed them a lot of my rejection letters. And often these comments were coded. They'd say things like, it's too niche. There's not a market for it. I can't remember any to quote directly at you now, but often they were much more um, explicit your and somebody book, said that, I think one of them said that um, it needed to be more literary, like um, Alan Hollinghurst or um, Edmund White. Is that right? Yes. I actually, that editor, so I'm not going to mention this person's name, that editor I went on to have a working relationship with. But the thing, the feeling at the time was that more intelligent readers who read literary, in inverted commas, fiction, would mm. be able to empathise with gay men. And women who shopped, housewives who shopped to Asda, would not want to read about a central character who was gay because they weren't intelligent enough to empathise with him. Actually, that that opinion I heard a lot. The truth is, I can't remember exactly Mm. what balance and what measure there were in each round of submission. But from the start, in all three rounds of submission, I heard it was too gay. And also, in all three rounds of submission, I heard that it wasn't very good. Now, the thing that I will add Mm. here is... The first draft, I actually think, looking back on it now, wasn't very good. Um, (laughs) And what I did was, because I can be very hard on myself, and I was so determined, and my idol was Madonna, who had so many rejections from um, record companies, and it took her, she didn't even have a hit till she was 25, which is old for a pop star. So I was taking this inspiration. What I did was I was really hard with myself, and also possibly because I was used to editing other people's work in different ways in my other Mm. jobs. I said, right, look at all these comments that you're getting. Is Mm -hmm. there anything you can do to make this book better? So actually, the first draft massively improved. On all three rounds of submission, I took things from what the editors said and I, you know, looked at them dispassionately and thought, can I improve the book in any way? And I redrafted it and I went over and over Mm. and over again. And I felt like it was partly being tenacious, but it was partly thinking, I've got something to say here. And it was partly, Francesca, that... I've mentioned that I used to do um, make arts documentaries. Then I was the arts correspondent on Channel 4 News. But I then Mm. became the editor-in-chief of Attitude magazine, which is a big gay magazine. So suddenly I was um, on BBC Breakfast and Sky News talking about gay news stories. And I was realising that actually gay wasn't niche anymore. Not only did you have like massive films at the cinema being blockbusters as well as winning awards, the equivalent art house, the equivalent of literary fiction. But there were big pop stars like Sam Smith when they were presenting as a man, as a gay man and singing about being in love on that album In the Lonely Hour, which was the biggest selling album in the world that year. You know, Mm. and every single soap had gay characters. And I knew when I was representing the magazine Attitude on all these other news and media outlets, I knew 
that gay wasn't niche, that it wasn't the turnoff, that it possibly had been. I mean, that is the other elephant in the room. It is possibly the case that in 2006, when the book was being, being rejected for the first time for being too niche, maybe mm. mainstream readership was not ready to connect with the gay protagonist mm. then. Yeah. Well, what's so interesting about this, actually, is that... Um, Although it is very much a book about Charlie being gay and coming to terms with various things about that in both practical and emotional terms, it is, as you mentioned earlier, it is very much about you know being a teenager and being insecure and dealing with issues with your parents. And also it's a book that I personally felt... I'm a little bit younger than you, but I felt very nostalgic. They're all, there's all this sort of lexicon that made me feel very funny and nostalgic, like pulling people and wicked. And they say all these things. It's a really big sort of deep dive into the 80s, the 90s in a way that I really enjoyed in a sense that I, I really don't think you have to have any interest in a gay character to, to relate to. So well, it's, it's funny that it was considered quite so niche because I don't think it is. Thank you very much for saying that. I mean, that is how it has proven. I absolutely agree. And I was careful to make him seem like an outsider, misunderstood, different. And actually going back to the rejections, one editor in the final round of rejections, a couple of years before it was finally published, a female editor who had wanted to buy it, but had been blocked by the sales and marketing department at her publisher. She had said to me, the key to getting this book through is to concentrate on the universals, to concentrate on his girlfriends concentrate on his female friends and the Mm. relationships of the women in his life and actually it's a it's a family drama it's about not fitting in where you're brought up and having to move away to to become the person you're meant to be it's about having a complicated relationship with your hometown wherever Mm. that is and yes you're absolutely right and the gay thing is a big part of his life and a big part of his connection to Madonna you know I often say people literally stop me on the street mention to me on social media all the time about how much they're connected with this book and the number mm. of times is there and I can't stand Madonna but my idol was xyz and yes. um you know um Yes, it could only have been her who was his idol, because growing up in the 80s when everybody hated gays, she was one of the few to stand up for us. And her message is the only one that he really would have connected with. But that apart, there definitely is a universality that you absolutely Mm. have picked up on, and so many readers have. But publishers just thought that the gay thing would be such a barrier to empathy for readers Mm. that they just didn't want to go there. It's funny, because in some ways it seems like a hook rather than the entire plot and everybody's always looking for a hook but it's sort of too much of a hook in the wrong way I guess at that time tell me how many drafts do you think you did in total and how many rejections were there in total if that's not too painful to think about well in between versions of this book being rejected by everybody lots of editors said to me what you need to do is um don't write a book about a central gay character falling in love and whatever you need to write a book about a nice female central character with a gay best friend and this is more than 10 years ago so while this was going on i did go off and write a few books along those lines. And I actually found a way to do it that didn't compromise what I wanted to do at all. I'm really proud of those books. Trying to get those books published, I also had a load of rejection form and had to change agents before getting a big deal with Pan Macmillan, which is another big traditional publisher. So um, Mm. I can't actually give you an answer in terms of... I went... When I got to over 50 um, agents and publishers rejecting me. I stopped counting. I've got every single email printed out, every single letter. 
I could sit and top them up, but there's something we went back to and we've got to over 50. And that's 50 agents and editors all together. Okay. And as you know, um, people imagine, and you imagine before you've been published, if you're successful in another area, that there's going to be a bidding war and an auction. Um, Actually, the truth is, when I started um, submitting through my first agent, the form was you do one at a time and you give them six weeks to respond. So what you consequently end up with is this slow drip, drip, drip Mm. that poisons your soul and lasts so there was one particular round of submissions that lasted about nine or ten months oh that Um, is so painful literally horrendous and Mm. I can talk about how homophobic bullying had a big part of how uh, my personality and psyche was shaped but I would say almost an equal part if actually possibly even more of a part was the creative battering that I took in my late 20s 30s and early 40s it literally changed who I am did it make you worse before it made you better yes in what way um it literally pushed me to the brink I mean it did make me start examining why does rejection hurt me so much why am I so sensitive how could it be that experiences of rejection I went through as a child and teenager um could have wounded me so much that those wounds are still open and it did Mm. prompt me to a, have a full breakdown and B, go into psychotherapy for five years to work through all that. And I mean, I'm sit- sitting here very chirpy and bouncy and upbeat because it is quite a long <laughs> time And you were very right when you said you'd get worse before it got better. And I remember when I went to the psychotherapist in the first session, he was amazing. He said to me in the first assessment session, he said, you do realise that if there's painful things you've kept buried for years, if you start to bring them up and bring them out, it will get worse before it gets better. And it did. And the rejection was Mm. going, the creative rejection was going on at the same time. But I'll tell you a little thing. You know, there's a character in the book, The Madonna of Bolton, because I'm like a few books down the line, I have to kind of remember. And there's a character in there, an inspirational teacher um, who helps out my character. And there's a little Mm -hmm. um, subplot going on. His name is John Beveridge. And the Mm -hmm. name of my psychotherapist who changed my life was John Beveridge. Oh, that's lovely. Oh, that is a good homage. I hope he's pleased. (laughs) Yes, he he loved it. And um, it's interesting when you look back, I don't want to give too simplistic a reading of it because often things are all mixed up and things are going Mm. on at the same time. Yeah, and it's a long time and a long time ago now. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. When you were coming back to the book, and also when you were writing your two other novels that, as you said, you published in the interim, were you enjoying writing? Did you did you manage to take joy in writing without that inner critic that had probably been strengthened and bolstered a little bit by this outer criticism? Was Did it get too much in the way or did you enjoy writing still? Well, funny you should say that because um, I did have these two books published, but I also wrote a third book in that series. My publisher had been very enthusiastic at first. The first book did all right. The second book, they didn't give any push to at all, and it tanked, at which point I was dropped. Um, And in that time, I had been writing another book, the third in that series, that we then took out on submission and was rejected by everybody. Oh, Matt. (laughs) Gosh. If you want to talk about rejection, Francesca, you have come to the right place. So, (laughs) literally, so 
so all this was going on and I just felt this compulsion to keep going. I, I kind of knew it was what I was meant to do. It was kind of being true to myself. And I really believed in this original book that became the Madonna of Bolton. I still believed in it and never gave up on that. But mm. obviously, as evidenced by the fact that I did conk out at one point in early 2010, I didn't always believe in myself. And absolutely, there were periods when I was writing. I remember when I was writing, when I was with Pam McMillan and I was writing that third book, and I could see that they weren't putting any resources behind the second. And I could see that there was no way it was going to sell because they just weren't pushing it at all or getting it mm. into shops or even getting it in stock on Amazon for the first five days. I knew it was going to flop. I knew I was going to be dropped. But writing a book takes a long time, as you know, which is partly why it hurts so much when it doesn't see the light of day. And mm. I was writing the third book which I actually possibly think is the best book I've ever written in that time, kind of knowing I was going to be dropped. There's times when you write and you think, why am I doing this? When it's just all it's getting me is like sadness and, you know, it's just not bringing me any joy whatsoever. And yet it was, and you did keep going. Yeah, I did keep going. But you know what is sad? Now, I've got this great deal now, and I've got an absolutely brilliant editor who actually had wanted to buy the Madonna of Bolton at one point and loved it and believed in it, but was blocked from doing so. Um, ah. Amazing editor. And I'm doing three books for her. The first one, The Secret Life of Albert Entwistle, and the next two. Yes. Both of which, I've done a first draft for both of them. So I'm, I'm saying this because I'm actually in like a really good place. Albert's done so well, and we get, Albert Entwistle has done so well. We get so many... The reviews on Amazon, the messages I get from readers telling me are really emotional. And the truth is, they don't really have the impact on me that they could do because I have had to switch off in order to survive any mm. um, any ability to be moved in any way by critical responses to my work my editor will send me feedback to a draft and I'm very practical I just look at it functionally how can I make this happen is this a good idea how can I um how can I do this actually the I get you know Albert is about Albert Entwistle is about an older gay man who is miserable and unhappy is in the closet and series of life crises happen just to make make him want to turn his life around and be happy and he knows the only way he can do this is by setting out to find the lost love of his life who he hasn't seen for 50 years 50 mm. years and along the way he comes out of the closet he opens up he connects with his community and it's this very uplifting book and I'm not going to tell you what happens at the end whether or not he finds it but the point I want to make is I've been contacted by so many men in the 70s and 80s, who've said, this book is my story. I was in tears writing it. And they tell me about being torn apart from boyfriends when they were in the teens, when it was illegal. All these Mm. devastatingly moving stories. And I feel terrible admitting this to you here. They don't move me in the way they should do because I have had to become cold and um, shut that side of me down in order to survive because I've just had such devastating experiences. Yeah, but maybe you'll regain it as that fades a little bit. I really hope so. Um, I've certainly still got my sensitivity and I don't think I could write. That's the, I mean, I'm sure lots of your guests have said this to you. That's the the thing, the uh, crux of this. In order to be a good writer, you've got to be very sensitive and very feel emotions deeply. And that basically means that rejection affects you more. I don't feel, you know what, when um, Albert was a big hit, um, I wasn't jumping for joy. I wasn't mm. jumping for joy. I just feel so battered. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I just had to make my skin thick. It happened over so long. It's part of who I am. A rejected mm. person, and um, I don't even think know if I could think of myself in any other way. <laughs> but that went on for a long time, and once this has gone on for a long time, maybe it will replace the other the other sense of self. Um, yes, well, funny you should say that. Somebody once said to me, "Just because something has been your story for a long time doesn't mean it will always be your story." I, literally, um, I'd been rejected as a writer for so long. I thought that was who I was. If anybody listening to this thinks the same thing applies to them, it doesn't. You can turn it around. You absolutely can turn Mm. it around. Well, let's talk about Unbound and you turning it around. So how old were you when you went to Unbound and what prompted you to do so? So I was, I'd had all these kind of, I mean, that was the difficult thing. You know, I was spending all this time writing. Um, I actually had quite all-consuming day jobs at the same time. And... When my, the wheels came off my writing career after I'd first been published with these other books with female central characters, I basically, I have no money. You know, I mean, people talk about um, rejection as purely an emotional thing. I mean, let's get real. You know, people have written books about rejection and this, that and the other. You can only truly appreciate the full horror of rejection when you are lying in bed, not able to sleep just this like white noise of anxiety going around in your head because you have no way to pay your mortgage or to pay your bills. And you're going shopping in Lidl for the same kind of cheapest possible shop you can do to get through the week, beans on toast and this, that, the other, because you literally have no money. And your friends are going out and you cannot. And the horror, um, you know, and the horror of it and basically I'd been successful in other areas so I basically thought I can't do this anymore from a practical point of view never mind the emotional so um I taught myself despite never having edited a magazine or even worked for a magazine I talked myself into the job as (laughs) editor-in-chief of the biggest day magazine (laughs) (laughs) country I don't quite know how how I managed to do that but that's amazing (laughs) but actually it came from a point of desperation and it was you know I've done these jobs that were everybody else's dream being a correspondent an editor on a national news tv program and you know making document I made spent eight years on the South Bank show with Melvin Bragg for ITV and edited attitude lots of people would say oh my god that's my dream job And I don't want to be completely ungrateful because I did have an amazing professional life and I was well paid for it when I was in these jobs. But it wasn't my dream. And inside, part of me was dying because my dream had been stamped out. Mm. Um, Anyway, my dream had been stamped out the first time, or maybe I can't even remember. I mean, the first time I'd been professionally published and I taught myself into this job attitude. And whilst there, I had not just insight into how mainstream gay was now but Mm. um, a platform to talk about gay issues so it was um, the end of 2017 which had been the 50th anniversary of the start of decriminalization for gay men in England and Wales and there'd been lots of oh wow you know there'd been all kinds of things going on I'd presented a podcast for the magazine where I interviewed older gay men about their experiences I could see by how people were responding to me and the magazine and other things, you know, works of popular culture that were out there, that this wasn't niche and 
and the gay thing wasn't a barrier to empathy for mainstream audiences. So I, I had, when I was at Channel 4, I'd done a report on Unbound, which is a crowdfunding publisher. I'd done a report on it when it was started. And um, I knew some people who worked there. And I basically went into the office <laughs> and I said, right, I've got this book. I'd sent it to an editor first, actually, and she'd read it and really liked it. I said, right, I've got this book and um, I don't just want to crowdfund it. I want to um, line up a lot of celebs to support me and get the magazine behind it and go out there and give all my rejection letters to The Guardian. And I want to go out there, whip up a storm and make it the fastest crowdfunded novel that you've done I said what's your record and they said I can't remember what the record was I sat there in the office and I said right I'm gonna break it and I had to do it in seven days <laughs> and I absolutely did I did it in seven days and you could follow how it was doing for pledges on the website and when we were about 20 pounds under I phoned up my dad and said dad if you want to push me over the line pledge for another book now and you <laughs> and he did and um that yes was- I looked I looked through the pledges because, of course, in Unbound books, they are printed at the back of the book. That's one of the things that you get when you pledge with Unbound, which I should say for listeners who don't know about Unbound, it's sort of like sponsorship. You basically sponsor a book by paying money. And then when it reaches its target, it can be published. Um, But for some books, and I sponsored some books on Unbound, sometimes it can take quite a long time. But yours took next to no time at all. But yes, when I looked through the acknowledgements, there were a lot of celebrities, but also a lot of canes. (laughs) I did see that. (laughs) Yeah, it was all my family. That's hilarious. Well, funnily enough, the reason I was so determined to get out there and show them, I mean, I was kind of fired up politically. And then also, I knew that some books with Unbound had, you know, taken ages to get pledged and they'd come out and not really been commercial successes I wanted to prove a point and I wanted to prove a point to the industry and I wrote a big piece for the bookseller the publishing magazine about my experiences of homophobia in publishing in my guise as editor-in-chief of Attitude so I really absolutely worked out this whole campaign and was so determined and ruthless I thought right I'm going to smash this and I'm going to show them and then this discussion will be over once and for all oh but it's off the back of that that i been I wrote The Secret Life of Albert Henderson. I've got this deal with headline now. Tell me some of the celebrities who um, backed it. I've got Mark Gattis, S.J. Watson, David Nichols. Um, David Nichols pledged. David Williams pledged. David Williams. Um, Russell um, T. Davies. Yes, he did. Who, of course, and Russell T. Davies, of course, you know, very recently has um, made It's a Sin, which uh, is a fantastic TV programme all about gay life in the 80s which was also rejected by um, BBC and various places before Channel 4 took it on, which I think is really interesting because even now, you know, it takes things like that a while to get going and then they're massive successes. Absolutely. It's unbelievable, isn't it, when you think about it now? Also with that book, actually, I must say, so I got all the gay celebs on board, but there were authors. This This is the other thing about writing in the publishing industry. When you're having all these problems with people in the industry, authors themselves are 99 times out of 100, amazing and supportive. And there were people like Lisa Jewell, Jenny Colgan, David Nichols, who you mentioned, massive best-selling authors who got behind that book and Mm -hmm. were pledging and tweeting and promoting it on social media. And um, 
all felt that they wanted to be part of the change. And um, actually, even though I said I ended up with a really thick hide, I remember there being a moment whilst doing that campaign, being quite humbled and moved by all the support people I'd been at school with, who I hadn't seen for decades, who were pledging. And, you know, um, I remember finding that finding that quite moving yeah so maybe I'm not so much of an ice queen after all (laughs) (laughs) um and it's now got a film deal and a stage musical deal with with the with the film arm that represents Madonna right actually we did sign a big deal with Live Nation which was Madonna's management company and they made A Star Is Born with Lady Gaga we did have a big film version that was happening and that is no longer happening oh Um, Matt I'm sorry which is is sad but get this there's no need to be sorry because I'm not allowed to talk about it but I'm going to tell you about this for one reason which I think you will appreciate it has been picked up for another adaptation in another medium, which I probably, I don't want to give too much away, but all I want to say is we got this brilliant deal for it to be adapted into another art form. I said at this point, that's my story. I actually want to write that and pitched and did a whole treatment for how I would write it. And guess what? They rejected it. (laughs) No, no. No. I was devastated. So, you know what? I literally get rejected all my life, write a book about getting rejected. Um, (laughs) That book is rejected. Fight tooth and nail to get that published, make it a hit. And then it's being adapted into another medium. And they reject me from writing that. So, I remember that week being really low about it all over again it's really hard you can never um it's like like you say with Russell T Davis and it's to say like a huge hit and that was rejected by loads of broadcasters Mm. why do we do this to ourselves Francesca why do we do it to ourselves Matt tell me why you do it to yourself (laughs) we don't I I feel like I don't really have any choice in the matter I Mm. feel like it's part of who I am to have something to say and this is the medium in which I want to say it and if you know I one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast and why I think it's brilliant what you're doing is I just if anybody's listening and they've got this burning need inside them do not let anybody stamp it out if you get criticism that's hard to take do listen to it or listen to the bits of it that are that can make you better But um, don't let anybody ever stamp it out and fight and fight and fight for your baby to get it through. Thank you so much for listening to Write Off. If you enjoyed it, I'd be delighted if you fancied leaving a rating or review on your podcast app. That really helps people find the podcast if they've not heard of it before. Or on Twitter, where you can find me at Francesca Steele. Don't forget that I list my guests' books at my online bookshop, which is uk.bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash Francesca Steele. Details in the show notes. If you buy books there, you are helping me fund this podcast. So thank you and see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.